Welcome to Faithful Innovation. I'm Tina Jason. I love learning about the way God's love motivates how people serve the world. Hearing authentic personal stories deepens my understanding of how God transforms regular work and everyday encounters into acts of grace. Join me as I seek out ordinary people in cities, suburbs, small towns, and rural places who are doing extraordinary things. The goal, to inspire a wholesome expression of faith in your life, ministry, or business. In today's episode, I welcome my friend Connie Denninger. I'm not exactly sure when or how Connie and I first met, but we've known each other now for about 10 years and have become great friends. Connie is married to John, who is currently serving as the president of the Southeastern District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. They have three daughters and five grandsons. Connie writes a blog called Vintage Faith, telling the story of God's faithfulness. Her posts range from sharing her journey with God through His Word, where she displays photos of her creative Bible journaling, to family stories written through the lens of faith, and other stories of evidences of God at work in the world. Connie is also active on Pinterest, where her movement of kingdom impact pinning has grown to over 13,000 followers. God has woven her passion for prayer, centered in the Word of God, and her ability to teach and inspire into a growing movement called Visual Faith, and I'm so excited to share that with you today. Connie, welcome. Thank you, Tina. So today we're going to be talking about Visual Faith, and i just like if you would tell the story of how this journey began for you. It's about 20 years in the making formally, I would say, probably many years before that, before I even realized what a visual learner was. And that everything that meant meaning and meaning-making for me had to have some kind of visual impact or visual coordination. I didn't understand that at the time, but it makes a lot of sense now of how I've always processed. I would say that for 20 years in ministry in the congregation, we were doing listening to families and trying to figure out what were some helpful tools for them to mark important dates like baptism, confirmation, tell the stories of what God was doing in the intersection of their family life, and to honor the times when God was just present and important in celebration. So we began putting together tools, projects that helped to honor those times for families. Then we listened to families that were struggling with how to make faith life training in the home more meaningful and looked for materials and couldn't really find anything. So we put together a Keep the Faith design team that actually put together projects that were helpful to families right in their family life so that we could help them learn the words that they were trying to teach their families, help them look up at prayer processing, recording events, and all the things that they were learning along the way. Then I think about 10 years ago, we were looking at prayer as a congregation. And I was on a team that was putting together an event that was called High Definition Prayer. And in putting that together, I came across the materials written by Sybil Macbeth, who wrote Praying in Color. And she ended up coming to our congregation and teaching us all about visual prayer. At the same time, I tell the story about teaching a class on a Wednesday morning 
in our church setting and everybody was leaving and walking down the hallway and I was at one end of the hallway and a friend was down at the other end of the hallway and couldn't get through the mass of people and tried to get my attention and yelled down the hallway, Connie, are you going to be at the prayer meeting tonight? And I turned around without thinking, simply yelled, no, I don't pray. And then looked at the astonished face of everybody in the hallway. And I just turned around and walked out and went into my car and left and went home. In the process of thinking through that, um, I had meant to say I'm not on the prayer team. What I actually said was probably more the truth. I didn't pray. And I was so convicted by that. And at the same time, looking at the high definition prayer, God decided something else needed to happen. And that was the beginning of a different story for me. It's amazing how God can reveal to us something that's broken and then shape it into something really beautiful. So you're married to John, and John was pastoring a church at that time. Can you tell us about your faith background growing up? I'm one of the -the dyed-in-the-wool Missouri Synod Lutheran folks. Um, Grew up in a community where all my neighbors were Lutherans. They all went to my church. All the kids in the neighborhood went to my school. I didn't know um, anybody who went to the public school. I could see four Lutheran churches from the window in our upstairs farmhouse. And I think it was that small secluded world that was a safe net place, but also a very uh, isolated place for seeing the world. Remember um, Lutheran grade school through eighth grade and not very much interaction with anybody else that was from any kind of uh, secular background or even a not Lutheran-based family life. I just didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. As you started working with those early iterations of different tools for families, what did you see start to happen in their lives and in your own life? Well, one of the things that we were really noticing was we had a large preschool in our church setting of about 300 families, but most of them did not come from a Lutheran background like I did. They did not have the innate sort of built-in language or vocabulary of faith life living. So they were struggling to try to impart the meanings, the vocabulary of church words, which they never learned growing up. We had many families that had no church background or came together with diversity in their church faith background. So they were really trying to figure out how in the world do we teach these things that we don't know ourselves. So We saw that so much of faith training in the home was um, helping the parents first. So I think that was really where my focus was at the beginning. How do we help a mom and dad who might have the desire for this? They just didn't have the tools. Mm -hmm. Tell us about those early days. How did it begin to take shape? What did you do to get started? I found out right away that I needed a whole team of people that were going to do this, a team of creatives. So we put together a team of people that I called the Keep the Faith design team. I didn't understand materials or processes very well, so I needed someone who was a stamper. I needed someone who could work with paper. I needed someone who could help think through how to do large group settings for processing with large groups of people rather than just one or two people. And so as a team, we put those things in place, and then we just started posting what we called Keep the Faith events, which was normally a Friday night from about 6 to 11 at night, and then Saturdays from 
10 to 4, and families could come and work on things, uh, faith Rolodexes, faithables, telling their baptism, confirmation stories, and we would have all the things there for them to use and to work with. So that was quite a few years of doing that and then finding that that grew beyond just our congregation as we began to invite other people and found a need for people wanting to be trained to use those kinds of tools and projects too. Mm-hmm. I've seen your faith Rolodex. If you could describe that a little bit. Well, the story for that goes back to another teaching day on a Wednesday morning, and I walked into the room, and all the Catholics in my class had already been to Mass, and they had a black cross on their forehead. And a young mom came into the room and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get the memo about wearing the black smudge on your face today. And we all kind of looked at her and said, well, it's Ash Wednesday today. And she said, oh, what's that? So we began to tell her. And then we said, you know, it's the beginning of Lent. And she said, oh, what's Lent? And we, we ended up in this long dialogue of trying to explain to this one young person who had no clue about the practice of Lent, had, didn't know what any of the words meant. And we got to Holy Week, and we're telling her about the procession through Holy Week and t- told her Monday, Thursday, and she looked at us and said, oh, what does Monday mean? And all the lifelong L- Lutherans sat and looked at her and couldn't come up with anything. So I was so convicted by that that I came home and for three years started a list of all the church words and began creating a list of what the meanings were, looking them up, going through the service every Sunday, writing down words, just simple explanations that families could sit and talk about what these words meant. So we put that into a format, and then the design team said, we have to have something that sits out in your house every day, easy to use, easy to find the words. And we came up with a a Rolodex where we simply put the words on recycled greeting cards, and families can make their own vocabulary lists Um, for faith life living. Hmm. How did that begin to shape what people understood? How did they use it? Uh, One of the stories I love to tell is a mom brought her uh, six-year-old to come and help her work on their faith Rolodex. And um, this precocious six-year-old just simply said, Mom, you can do your own, but I'm making mine for my life. And so she came back time after time and worked on her own faith Rolodex. And that was what made me realize that, first of all, this is a 20-year project for families. It's not something that gets done in one sitting. You add the words. You talk about the words. You adjust what you add in as age-appropriate meaning discussions for them. So it's a continual adding on process. But it was that conversation with that little girl that made me determine that that's what I was going to give my children for wedding gifts. So for when I went to a wedding shower for each of the weddings, the girls got a faith Rolodex. So that was sort of the handing over the language of the faith conversations into the next generation to help them teach those words to their families and to begin their own faith story in their families. Hmm. How are you seeing them use that today? Well, we have our oldest grandson is three. And when I was there a couple weeks ago, we were saying, you know, 
Griffin's really old enough to be using the Faith Rolodex, and he's learning his ABCs. So you just can simply have it at the dining room table, and he can pick out a letter of the alphabet, and they can find a faith word to talk about, make it age-appropriate in conversation, but just hearing the words and being in conversation around the dinner table with, with your family, it, that's where the teaching happens over and over again, day after day. That's so beautiful. Just in the course of everyday life, how yep. it becomes a natural part of the conversation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about this starting in the church where, where you and John were serving and how it grew and began to grow, grow beyond that. So just talk about how that took shape and the first steps out and how this movement that's grown into what's called visual faith began to take shape beyond the one church. One of the things that we always did was every event always invited area churches, not within just our Lutheran setting, but any neighboring church was always welcome. Working to get the invites out was always the hard thing, trying to find the correct people to advertise. So I put together sort of contact people in ministry. They were often the women's minister or the youth minister were probably the best places. And here and there, people from other churches would just come and learn about what we were doing. And then our goal was to always help them take that back to their own congregation to create a ministry there. So we watched that happen in a number of churches um, that leaders generally brought other people along with them so that they kind of came through a period of learning about the practices and the tools and and how to organize, uh, keep the faith event. And then the goal was that it became something that became part of the fabric of another congregation. So that was quite a few years of just helping that move into other settings was what we were hoping would happen so that our church was a visual. We weren't calling it visual faith back then. We, we were hoping our church would be a keep the faith center for training and equipping lay people in other churches. Now you talked about putting together a team of people who had different abilities or skill sets and how important that was. So as that design team took shape, how has that grown or changed over time? The team has really changed because part of the challenge in our congregation is in a military community, everybody leaves. So every year my team would leave and I'd be looking for new people to supplement um, team people. There's been one person that has been here since the beginning She's been on the path with me since the beginning and and gets what this has been as far as what we've been trying to do in our own families. But through the years, the team has evolved and just changes all the time. I'm always looking for new people to try and bring in, um, walk along beside them, find out where they are, and then to see how their gifts might be something that we could both help them discover and learn about themselves and then to see how they might contribute to a, a bigger a bigger picture of what God might be wanting to do with their being included. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how the movement began to happen between the work that was happening within a congregation and the workshops that you did that involved other area congregations and then the step into an online presence. That really began with, um, I was actually at a 
pastoral leadership institute training clear back in 2007 and one of the young participants said well I'll just connect you on Facebook and I said well I'm not on Facebook and she just looked at me with such a stunned look and she said well why not and I said well I don't do anything online and she said well we've got to change that so before we left our gathering, she had me um, set up with a Facebook page, and I had no clue what that meant, uh, but that was the beginning of just being available and online. So that was probably just about 10 years ago. So about four years of just trying to learn about online, how to maneuver that. I went to a layperson's equipping event that we do in our church body called Tending the Flame. And one of the workshops I went to was a DCE that was telling how you could start a blog. And I went to that and I just kind of closed my notebook thinking, oh, well, that was very nice. And then the Lord just kind of kept tapping me on the shoulder and said, you know, you need to start a blog. And I did my often not paying attention mode um, for about two months. And then one Saturday, I sat down and went to the blogger spot and published my first post. And when my husband, John, came home later that day, I told him that I had started a blog. And he just kind of looked at me and said, no, you didn't. And I said, yeah, I think I did. I don't know if I can find the post again, but I posted something. So that was the beginning story of actually figuring out how to tell a story in an online presence. And the incentive for that was three adult daughters who kept telling me things like, you didn't tell me that, Mom. And I would say, yes, I did. And they would say, no, you didn't. And I think I got behind in figuring out which of the three children I had told things. So I decided I would tell them what our life was evolving and looking like and what God was doing, and I would just publish it online, and it would be up to them to read the story about what was happening in our life, but that way I could make sure they all had the story. So I really began a blog for the sake of my children, for them to hear the story. So again, here's that story of just a piece that wasn't fitting and God shaped it into what has turned into this incredible blog that you write. I'm picking up stories of God at work through your initiative. God has brought people into your life and even nudged you in your own prayer life. I'd like you to talk a little bit about how your own prayer life has evolved in this journey. Well, I think one of the, the main things that became really apparent to me was I'm a person that needs a lot of accountability, and I didn't have any systems in place for accountability. And I was just very frustrated with being in conversations with people saying, you know, I'll pray for you, and then seeing them the next Sunday walking down the hallway and realizing, well, I hadn't prayed for them. I had every intention of praying for them, but it never once crossed my mind. So two things changed. We began training care ministers at our congregation who really moved us beyond sort of the pat answer of saying, I'll pray for you to uh, stopping right then and there and praying for people. So at that same time that happened, uh, I began practicing that learning that style of being with people in the moment and not putting off prayer time to a future time, but actually praying 
at the time. So that was one of the things that was pretty significant. At the same time, I began using Sybil Macbeth's crane and color tools that we were learning about actually doing visual prayer and journals and keeping track of who we were praying for, that I had a way to remember that. I was also finding it very challenging to remember who I had told I would pray for. So both of those things were things that I began to see came together at the same time, was uh, finding better ways to be accountable and to be present and not beat myself up about not being able to keep a promise, both to the people and to myself about prayer time. Now, I know that you create prayer cards for people. I have been the recipient of one of those prayer cards. And just talk about that piece of this visual faith. Well, I think when when John was elected to the position he's at and was leaving the uh, congregational life, it was just overwhelming the amount of people and names we were going to have to learn in this new setting. And uh, congregational life felt very comfortable, and all of a sudden we were totally out of our comfort zone. And that was really hard for us to figure out how we were going to manage moving forward in that. And how how could we touch people with an, um, a presence, a prayer? So one of the things that I struggled with for a while was trying to figure out sort of a system that was doable, repeatable, and manageable style of prayer. And what I came up with was simply using four by six cards that I would put a Bible verse, and we decided early on, that we were going to pray scripture, pray scripture over people. That was going to be how we were going to touch their lives. We were going to pray scripture. And so I began stamping using sets of stamps that I already had on four by six cards. And John would often know the people and the situations and the things that they were dealing with in ministry, and I didn't. So I would have a selection of cards and would read the verses and then I would doodle around the verses, and he would choose the prayer. We spend a lot of time driving in the car from place to place, and so that leaves me with a lot of prayer time in the car that I can find um, (laughs) valuable for me for both something to do and a valuable way to use time in a car. So then we found that the pre-printed cards made it something that created a system that was doable. I think the surprising thing is, I didn't really think that this was a practice that would take me much more than a year and maybe doing 20 or 25 of the prayer cards. And I think I'm now on close to 250 of the prayer cards. So it has really been a Holy Spirit blessed practice because there's nothing in me that would keep calling me to continue that. So it it certainly has to be the work of the Holy Spirit that keeps finding, um, I find new ways to make it fresh and different and different styles that has allowed me to continue the practice of blessing people with prayer. Mm -hmm. Another tool you've used has been prayer calendars for months or particular seasons. Talk about how that came about. And I think one of the things I have appreciated you talking about specifically is to have a plan. And when you have a plan and kind of a framework to work in, then the process of doing it becomes 
you don't have to create what you're doing. You know what the plan is. Uh, one of the things that we continue to work with um, Sybil Macbeth, and I count her as a dear friend. We've ended up in a collaborative learning relationship from each other. We took some of the things that she was doing in praying in color, and we kept adapting it as we listened to what was challenging for people. And we kept finding new ways that opened the door for people into visual prayer. So we would share that back with Sybil, and then I think it was in 2011, all of a sudden I saw in her blog she had put up a Lenten, I believe it was, prayer calendar where she simply used a calendar that had small squares in it for each day of the month, and she had put one word in the squares during her Lenten journey. And I just found that remarkable when I saw what a prayer looked like visually over a period of time. And our church always gave out Lenten and Advent devotions. And I thought that that's something doable. So for a number of years, I would practice taking whatever calendar she had for Lent and Advent and simply taking the devotion that we were doing in our congregation and finding the one word that the Spirit lifted up as my one word for the day. And that would get put in that little I can't draw anything, but I can doodle. So the, the square would simply have not a, an image, but just a word and coloring around it. But the stunning thing was to see what a Lenten or Advent journey looks like one word a day for setting apart that time in our lectionary year, working with a liturgical church that has sort of the gift of that, and then how we could celebrate that and make that doable. And then people on our team in the past few years, they began creating Lenten calendars to add to the story. Now we have a number of people that come up with their own designs. So those are things that we can offer to people, a number of choices for Lent and Advent calendars. I think one of the fun things has been helping a lot of um, non-liturgical church people celebrate Lent and Advent. So one of our um, really fun projects is bringing this practice to churches that uh, have not really uh, moved through celebrating their year with Lent and Advent separation. And finding this is something that is really fun for people to add to their spiritual practices is these kinds of calendars. I think one of the things that we really saw for me was the same thing. I had lots and lots of prayer journals. I tell the story of getting a new prayer journal every January. And by about the 20th of the month, I would just kind of fall away from the practice. And every year I decided there was something wrong with the prayer journal. So I would get a new journal every year. And I have a whole stack of prayer journals that get to about the end of January. And then that's it. So I was so frustrated by that. I could not find anything that moved me beyond January in a prayer life. And I said, there has to be something that works for me. And one of the things we talk about when we teach prayer is every person has an individual education plan. They have a plan that works for them in how they learn and how they process and how they put things together, how they remember and how they make meaning. Our job as visual faith coaches is to help each person discover what that is. 
So we began using actual journals where we drew shapes in. We had on hand a bunch of stencils from other projects and we would put stencils on a journal page and that would become the images where we would write our prayer prompts around during the month. So each month would be a collected one page of prayer prompts and then the coloring time of coloring in those pages set apart that sacred prayer time. I call everything an experiment in prayer because I never know whether I'm going to stick with it or not. That gives me the freedom that if it doesn't work, I say, well, that was a good experiment, but I need to find something else. So that was kind of the start of what we now call prayers by the month, which has evolved into simple practices of setting up prayer journals and always being ready to pray. I'll share some of these pictures in the blog posts and the show notes so that people can see what you're talking about. I think a couple of significant things I heard you say is that everybody has an individual education plan. The journey of a spiritual life, it is a journey of discovery of what's going to work for each person. And then also to have that freedom is of experimentation that you don't know if this is going to work so I'm going to see and see if this fits and if it fits then you know you'll keep doing it. What are some things you've learned about yourself? Well one of the things that I found early on was a diagnosis I call of having spiritual amnesia. I find that many of my friends have that same diagnosis and that's simply us as human beings we forget God's faithfulness from day to day week to week month to month and his goodness to us so I I began seeing these processes and practices as simple ways to help with the amnesia thing of putting it in front of me in all sorts of ways that I could remember um, God's goodness and his faithfulness especially when I'm not good or faithful. And so in that, it brought a lot of hope in, in the practice that it wasn't determined on what I did because it's all about what, who he is and what he has done and what Jesus has done. So none of the practices are put in place to earn anything. And I, I think that's one of the main things that we hope that we help people to see that these practices are put together with such a grace-filled umbrella and foundation that we intentionally set up the things that allow people to fall behind but catch up, get behind, fall away, start over, so that we don't set this field of blame and a target on ourselves that, first of all, allows us an easy way out, but also opens the door for re-entry over and over and over again really seeing that spiritual formation is the consistent process of falling away and coming back over and over and over again. A a grace-filled process of helping Mm -hmm. people develop. What are some lessons that other people have taught you in watching them use these tools? Probably the biggest challenge when we started out was that this was sort of a gendered biased practice. Because my ministry was for women, And that's been the continual struggle, I would say, over the last 20 years of how to involve more men in looking at these spiritual practices. The big help has been that my husband, John, fell very quickly into finding that the visual prayer, the drawing into his prayer time and devotion time was his missing link too. So as a couple, it became both of our personal practices. 
But I think one of the things is to not discount how young children can engage in these practices. Our one daughter is a kindergarten teacher. So for all of our daughters are Lutheran educators. So we've used Lutheran classrooms as laboratories for prayer, um, faith-life experimentation about what works with kids and what we can learn from them in that setting and then continue to adapt. So one of the things is that very young children can use these practices. We find very heartwarming stories when these practices are brought to men who also share, oh, this was the piece I've been missing my whole life. Tell the story of doing a uh, prayer retreat in Myrtle Beach and John and I were leading that retreat and he was there on Sunday morning and after the worship service, one of the men who had been at the retreat came up to me and he was just kind of hanging out and then he said, you know, I, I play a lot of golf and I said, well, that's good. You live in Myrtle Beach and, and he said, yeah, 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 I, I watch a lot of TV and I said, well, that's probably a good thing for when you're not playing golf. Then he was quiet for a pretty long period of time and then he whispered to me, and I color when I watch TV. And I said, you do? And he said, yeah, you know, I didn't know there were coloring books with scripture in them. He said, after church today, I'm going to go find me a coloring book with Bible verses. And I just wanted you to know that you changed my life. So there's, there's stories like that that I believe are out there just waiting to be discovered about uh, visual faith practices for both men and women, and for uh, people of all ages. Talk a little bit about the Kingdom Impact Pinning Movement and how that came about, what it is, how could people connect to it? Well, I think what happened when um, we find all the different ways that online communities gather, and when uh, Pinterest came along, I think my children told me about it, and all of a sudden it became my online a depository of ideas and found out that my old system of bookmarking things doesn't work when you're bookmarking hundreds of things because I could never find them to retrieve them. So it became my online sort of bookmarking of information or resources. A lot of the things have been revealed to me in my Bible classes that I'm teaching and a bunch of the young moms were talking about all these amazing ideas they were finding on Pinterest for um, things in their family and all these party things and practices. And so I started looking at some of the things that they were looking at. And I found that most of the content that they were following and adapting into their family life were Mormon practices. And then I began trying to find where faith-based, doctrinally strong information was coming in the Christian community, and I could not find any, and was really deeply disturbed by this, and, and said, if you're working with people that are young in the faith and don't have the discerning ability to know what is sound doctrine, they were just really easily misled. And I said, unless the Christian community steps forward and does something to impact that, there is nothing else counteracting any of that. So about a half a year later, I got together with the other pastor's wife. I said, come over for coffee. I said, I've been wrestling with this idea. I said, what if we began curating the internet on Pinterest and, and looking for sound places to send people for information, especially for faith things and encouragement? How could we be a light in the dark world? 
And so we said, well, we would try it. So we gave it a year and we said, let's see if we can have 300 followers in a year. And pretty soon we saw that we had people that were also interested in joining that. So we have a team of 33 people who simply are present on Pinterest with Kingdom Eyes how they arrange their board, the kinds of things that they pin, the presence that they have online, information they try to send to people. So the 300 followers grew to over 30,000 followers. And in the years since then, we've really seen the impact of faith-based use of an online medium, what it looks like to do that together to create a community. Two people developed into a team of 33 and now you have a following of over 30,000. We're simply uh, realized that we have a goal of why we are there. So anytime we spend on Pinterest, we just pray that the people are there with a, a view of the wider kingdom of who we are together as Christians. Share with us the different, so we've talked about Pinterest, we've talked about your blog. Are there other areas of online connection that you might want to point people to? Yeah, the visual faith communities on Facebook, we had done the Women's Leadership Institute gathering in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and had a lot of college age young women there. And one of the things that was interesting was hearing back from them the great need for building community. And Bible journaling had already kind of come along the Facebook community So I went to church the next morning and um, a young mom who happened to be my grandson's child care provider came up to me and said, well, I started Ann Arbor Bible Journaling last night on Facebook. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, I started a group so that we could begin to gather community. I said, okay, well, that's nice. So I went home and saw that there were 54 people in the group since the night before and realized that on Facebook um, in these communities that we could add files. And that began to be the way of how God opened the door to seeing that there was possibilities to create learning communities and also collaborative learning communities where people could create their own materials, upload and share with the communities. And that's how the visual faith community started. So again, I'll link to all these things so you'll be able to find them. This podcast is designed to inspire a wholesome expression of faith in people's lives, ministry, or business. And so as God began to stir this in you, and over these years as it's grown, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a leader? Somebody leading in this, and maybe somebody who wasn't looking to lead in this, but you felt the nudging and responded. Well, I think one of the things God has brought Um, to me has been honest friends who along the way could say things like, Connie, your own skill set is debilitating to your ministry. And, And that was early on in my ability to use the computer. And I had one friend who said, you will limit the impact of your ministry by your limited skill set online. So she said, would you be willing to do something about that? And I said, yeah, I don't even know what to do. And she said, well, I know, (laughs) but I will help you. So this very patient person began trying to just help me learn how to manipulate both processes and a way to connect to people. And through that, I think things began to change for me as I became more confident about how to use computer 
still consider myself limited in that, but I decided if God was wanting to use me, I was going to have to do everything I could to find a better way of connecting to people. It wasn't what I had planned to do, but kind of where he placed me anyhow. So I would say that was one of the things I learned early on was to actually sit down and list all the weak areas of things I could not do and that I would have to surround myself with people that had those gifts and skills. And that would be the how we would put together a ministry team that could have a bigger impact than anything I could do myself. Hmm. If you could give a word of encouragement to somebody feeling a nudge from God and maybe feeling timid about that, what would that word of encouragement be? Don't be afraid to make big mistakes because those are the places where you'll learn. And I think one of the things, you know, we're getting ready to launch Visual Faith Ministries, our own website, as a place that will host the tools that we're learning. And I have no clue how to do this. So we're just kind of stepping out in faith to learn along the way, surrounding myself with people that are skilled much different ways than I am. The Lord blesses our humble offerings. And that's what I continue to see in the small things we can offer to him, he can bless greatly. And don't be afraid of that. That's wonderful. The Lord can bless our humble offerings. And so as a final question, how would you summarize what you've learned about God in this journey? He uses everything, the good things that happen to us and the, the challenging things, he uses it all. Um, None of our experiences go forth without being enriched by his touching our lives. And so that everything that happens to us, every experience is his way of molding us and who he um, needs us to be in the kingdom. And that's just a really rich journey. That's beautiful. When Connie leads workshops, she has Bibles upon Bibles and scrapbooks upon scrapbooks of her journaling of this visual faith journey that she's taken over this number of years. So to find that on her blog and look at the work she's done, I hope that will be an inspiration to you to feel freedom to experiment and try some new things if you're feeling a nudge that maybe God's calling you in a certain direction. Connie, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how could they reach you? I'm pretty available on lots of online um, places. Uh, well, you can get a hold of me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. My email is still on A-O-L-C-O-N-D-O-I-T at AOL.com simply because I believe God's asked me to be a conduit uh, to the world of for his grace. And so that's one of the easy places to get a hold of me. That's wonderful. So I'll link to these things so you can find them. Connie, I just want to say thank you for joining me. And I just pray that our conversation will bless a lot of people. It's amazing how three words, I don't pray, uttered in haste over 20 years ago, turned a personal conviction into an expanding movement. Connie's humble spirit of faithfulness enabled her to take those first steps in allowing God to shape her weakness into something beautiful that would come to bless many, many people. I hope you found encouragement through Connie's story. Each week in the Faithful Innovation private Facebook group, we consider a question. So I invite you to join us there and jump into the conversation. The question we'll consider this week is, 
What area of struggle or weakness in your life may God be speaking into? This group is a place where you can find encouragement and hear from others who are also on the journey as we share the ways God is faithfully innovating our lives. All the resources mentioned in this episode can be found at faithfulinnovation.com. Just enter Visual Faith in the search and it will come right up. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. Make it a great week and find your unique way to share the love of God with the people you encounter. Bye for now.